Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today on Sales Lead Dog, we have Ruby Rayleigh, VP of Sales uh, for Axway. Ruby, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks, Christopher. I really appreciate that. You know, I was kind of surprised you reached out to me, but I'm excited to chat with you today and talk about sales. Awesome. Well, don't be surprised because if you check out Ruby's LinkedIn profile, you'll understand why we invited her on to Sales Lead Dog because she is a Sales Lead Dog, right? Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. I really well, do. You know, what I do at Axway, just to kind of follow up on that, yeah, yeah. is um, I lead one of our sales teams. Axway is a 20-year-old digital integration company. We're very well known. We're international. Um, we have verticals associated with financial services, healthcare. Um, we have a lot of government accounts and a lot of supply chain accounts. Um, we are trusted to move data by many of the largest companies in the world. And in fact, um, many people can't make payroll if our software isn't working. In healthcare, we're used across the board, whether it's from clinical data trials, um, clinical data for clinical trials, um, submitting that to government um, agencies around the world, to um, uh, pharma distribution and managing um, shipments of controlled substances to um, uh, sitting behind being the front door, being the secure front door for data exchange for health plans. And then um, our you know big push right now is with APIs and something we call Amplify, which is a way for organizations to get um, more reuse, um, more um, value out of the APIs, regardless of what platform they were built on. Um, we work with all platforms and we really change the game for consumer experiences and develop experiences by using APIs. Yeah, it's, you know, if you're not in the tech space, you may not have a clue what APIs really are, all this stuff, but Point. it it really is, when you think about all the different businesses that all have to work together, just to support a supply chain and all the information that's flowing back and forth, somebody's got to do that and someone's got to support that. And it's got to be 24 seven, 365. It just has to work. Really? Like you're, to your point, can't make payroll if we can't send this data, right? And so that it's amazing that, you know, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast and because there, there are companies like Axway out there that do these things that really keep our economy moving. Yep. I like to say, if you think about it in history, when it was sailing around the world and trading, people would take letters with them and the letters would say, hey, I'm a real person. I have a real account at a bank. I am good for this amount of money. You can trust me. Oh, and here somebody you know is like vouching for me. And today, and then we kind of moved to file exchange and EDI where we use certificates to kind of represent, hey, we are who we say we are. Um, we're a trustworthy party. Um, we have non-repudiation. So if I give, if I send you an electronic order form, I won't revoke it and pretend that I didn't mean to. And 
and that was good, but it was slow. It was so much faster than paper, slow. And now APIs are letting us do this in real time while people are waiting. So now I can identify myself. I can, um, we call it authenticate ourselves. We can exchange data and we can make a new experience, meaning a new service that's part of what I do at Axway, maybe part of what you do, Christopher, at your company, maybe part of what three other companies do quickly into something brand new that never existed before and and do it um, in real time so that people can actually complete an experience um, in one session as opposed to waiting for some paper to show up at their house and then taking another action. Yeah. Yeah. Ruby, thinking back over your career, what are the three things that have gotten you where you are today to be so successful? You know, it's always hard for me when um, I get asked these these very short, um, tight questions. Um, off the top of my head, I think first relationship, you know, many times in my career, the reason I got to sit in a new seat was because someone I knew recommended me or someone sponsored me into an organization. The second is learning. I think all technologists have to adopt a lifelong learning mantra. But to me, uh, I read constantly. I try to absorb as much as I can. I read about a variety of things. And then the last thing is just grit and hard work. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you don't put the work in, uh, the results don't come. Yep. I talk about Tom Brady all the time. He's one of if the hardest working players in, in the NFL, if not the hardest working. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to look at that success and think, oh, that must have come easy to him. Uh, there's always, you look at anyone who's really successful, there's always a boatload of hard work behind them. Absolutely. Tom Brady's like my husband's favorite sports um, persona. Uh, so it's nice that you mentioned that um, <laughs> as well. My husband will be psyched if he <laughs> listens to this episode. Yeah, yeah. Did you start out wanting to be in sales? Um, no, I actually started out wanting to do real-time control systems. Um, oh. I was fascinated by it. I had a minor in operations research and I loved game theory and I wanted to do, I wanted to write code that changed things in the real world. So in today's world, we might call, I might've gone into robotics, but that's what I wanted to do. It was hard to find that. And I steered around and got to do some of it, not as much as I wanted. And I actually liked talking to people and would get tired of sitting at my desk. So. I became like the liaison, the <laughs> customer requirements person, then the team lead, and I worked my way up the organization and and decided software was software companies is where I'm most comfortable. I love the um, people I work with in software companies, and that's where I currently am. And I've done lots of different things in software and technology. Yeah. So I, I imagine that broad background really helped you get started in sales. Yeah, you know, one of the things I learned early on in defense contrast, uh, contracting was um, IMI, or Individual Marketing Initiative, which is kind of like what other companies call it's always be marketing, where um, even though we were serving in some sort of coding or consulting firm, oops, role, we were always asked to market and look for the next opportunity. And then soon as a technology lead, I was partnered up with um, 
salespeople, especially in logistics and supply chain work, because technology was becoming more essential to delivering all kinds of services. So they drug me along as a technologist to convince the customer that we could do the technology. Then I started building all the, the slideware. I started building the value props. I started helping make the case and side-by-side -side selling. And I did that for many years before I actually sat in a true sales seat. No. Um, what do you remember some of those around the early lessons that you now still leverage in your role as a leader? Yeah, there, there's, there's some, um, you know, one of them is be careful not to oversell. Like, you know, I, I, I like to create and envision and you can get too far ahead of your product team and too far ahead of your organization. And frankly, um, it's not a good experience for customers. Customers um, really don't enjoy surprises and they don't enjoy struggling through delivery cycles. So, you know, learning how to sell just far enough ahead and not so far ahead was important. Um, you know, other things um, certainly come along. I think um, communications and listening and um, working. Uh, certainly COVID was hard for a lot of us salespeople because we had to learn how to do things we used to do on a whiteboard over an internet connection where we might or might not really be able to understand the room um, because people were all over the place. They weren't in one room anymore. So uh, there's been a lot of things that I learned over the years. Um, but, you know, what I find is you can build on what you already know and work on adding a little bit at each time. What was the hardest thing about your transition into sales leadership? Forecasting. Really? Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Forecasting, you know, so when you're in sales um, or side by side with sales, like whatever role you're in, you don't usually forecast across anybody but yourself. Right. And um, I had been a product manager and I had to set dates before I had to estimate things, but it's different with forecasting because, you know, in sales league, one of my sales leaders once told me your job is to get customers to do things on our timeline, not on their timeline. So you're always trying to get things done at a certain rate of speed that the customer might not be bought into. And so you're trying to judge how much risk you have. And really a lot of the old selling methodologies weren't really focused on helping you with that. Um, recently we started using MedPick and that actually has helped me think about uh, a data-driven way to forecast as opposed to like forecasting from your gut or your experience. And I'm really uh, eating that up because I kind of am a data person. So, no, yeah. yeah, I don't think gut is really a great way to forecast. Sometimes it's all you have, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, it it's um, you know, if, if our gut was that great, I think we all be winning the lottery on a regular basis, right? All right, I'm sure I would own quite a few stocks and be <laughs> highly successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you have a particular philosophy about how you manage your team as a sales leader? Yeah, it's not one of the ones in books, but um, I really look at it as like a coach player kind of role. Um, I'm, you know, I've managed a lot of teams in my life, and I think some sales managers come to the table without 
thinking about team development. They think about selling and it's all about selling. But I've never been in a company where I could have everything I wanted. So many times when you step into a role, you inherit the team and they all have different skills levels. And there's a certain kind of thing that I call blocking and tackling. And I'm sure many of the sales uh, managers that you speak to, Christopher, also use the word blocking and tackling. There's just certain basics in the selling movements that we all do that we need to do. And it's it, that I start with that, but I have to really understand what people are good at and help them know what they're good at and encourage them to have confidence. Um, and then also build them up where they have a weakness and help them compensate for that. And I find in sales, um, we get beat down, we get no's. So if you're out there, your boss is telling you, you got to prospect, you got to get opportunities on the board, you got to do this, you're going to get almost nine times more no's than you get yeses. So when you look at it, the old um, saying was, you know, pretend you give yourself a dollar for every outbound conversation you have, you know, you're only going to have one of those dollars that actually converts into a sale. So we're all getting no's all the time. So when you think about that, then I think one of my jobs is to help people have confidence and get back out on the field and play again, um, not just get beat down from the no's. Yeah, yeah. Which is a major component of selling. Can't avoid it. It's if true. you're only getting yeses, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, or um, you know, you're in a company we all want to go sell in, <laughs> because because most of us don't have that luxury. No, no, we don't. We don't. Um, what's more important in a sales leader, that that drive or or empathy and connection with your your team? You know, um, every time you move to a new seat in your professional career you always have to remember that what brought you to that seat might not take you to the next level. So uh, certainly I'm still the intense um, uh, must do project managed to the nines um, all over tasks that I used to be. But if I'm really gonna be successful, I have to develop trust with my team. I have to hand actions off to them and I have to check in with them and keep them on track and not let them be distracted, but I can't do all the work. So, you know, when when we're in a, in a leadership position, and I think this is true, not just of sales, um, but it's particularly true of sales because I think all of us like to get in there and meddle with the big deals and, you know, sh oh, you need, I'm, I'm coming with you. This is the key account. I got to be there. You got to invite me to the meeting. So it's always a little bit hard to back off and let it run without you making it better by being there yourself. But you've got to have that level of confidence and trust with your team that you can let them run so you can go do something else, help someone else make a difference. Um, in a different way. And that way your team can get more production and more push to the future. Yeah. What do you like to do when you're in a new role those first 90 days to establish that rapport with your team? Um, you know, it's really very popular still to write the 90 day plan. I've yet to see a 90 day plan that actually delivered the way you wrote it when you showed up. 
Um, I think it's really important when you're coming into a developed team, and I mean like not a startup, but an organization that, that has success and is working, that you spend some time listening, not just to your team, but to all the teams that interact with your team. So um, one of the things I want to do is a 360. I want to go around. I want to understand everything. And I do not want to dismiss the weakest member of the team. Like sometimes as a sales um, man, a new sales manager, your boss will say, this guy's an idiot. You, you know, one of the first things you're going to do is get rid of the idiot, right? And then you go talk to the idiot and you discover that, oh, he's, wow, whoa, whoa. This guy's got something, um, you know, what's holding him back? Uh, he doesn't understand the technology. He is uh, not focused properly. He doesn't have time management then maybe you recover it because right now, and it's more so than it's ever been in my career, is um, getting rid of one person may, it's very hard to replace because there's so much going on with the great resignation and everyone, you know, um, moving through positions and opportunities, even now with, you know, the pressures of inflation, there's still a lot of jobs on the market. So, you know, making sure you, think through your assessments and not jump to conclusions is super important. And you can't build trust if you're, you take your first impression and you lock in on it and you won't let the person show you their skills. Yeah. Do you use assessments at all? You know, when you're evaluating, you're coming into a new team or, or as part of your hiring process? Not in the sense of questionnaires. Is that what you meant, Christopher? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Party assessments? No, uh, I don't. I do have a tool I learned when I was divisional CIO. Mm. Um, and that's uh, one of my customers described it as um, you find a hole and you drive a tank through it. So, <laughs> so the, the, um, the sense is you ask people to explain. Um, an opportunity, a key account situation, and you see if they can do it in a small number of words. My best friend calls it 25 words or less. Mm. Um, I don't usually do that because I have I struggle with 25 words or less too. <laughs> but um, but if you can explain something, then you understand it. If you can't explain it to someone else, then you don't understand it. You have to either go do some work. Or it could be a sign that you can't handle the situation you're in. And, and maybe that is a sign that this person doesn't fit the role they're in and you've got to take some action as a leadership, as a leader. But it's, it's very true that you can catch people who are making it up because they tend to cycle mm -hmm. and they cannot crisply explain what's blocking them. Mm, interesting, interesting. Uh, do you have, you know, everybody has a down cycle. If you're in sales long enough, you're going to hit a down period. Yeah. How do you engage with that team member that's in a down cycle? Yeah, it's true. And in, um, and in sales, uh, this is one of my mantras is avoid the cliff. Like, this is why in sales, everything keeps coming back to basic blocking and tackling. You cannot, as a sales manager, forget to train on basics because then we start running sloppy plays. We start 
losing position on the field. We're going backwards instead of forwards. So you're always working on the basics. And one of the basics is avoid the cliff. And the cliff is I went after all the easy stuff and I didn't do the prospecting to set up my future. So I've cleared my pipe. This can happen at the end of the year. If you're on a calendar year, like in Q4, you clear the pipe, you're a hero, you get into Q1 and you've got nothing. And, and you're starving, you have, yeah. you're, you know, and yeah. then what do you have to do? You have to work twice as hard on the prospecting and twice as hard and you work your butt off and you climb back to the top of the cliff and you fall off of it again because you closed everything in Q4 and you got nothing in Q1. So this is one of the cycles and it's one of the things that I fight every year and I still have bad Q1. So like, I don't think I have the magical key to this, but I do know that if we're not constantly filling the funnel, we will starve at some point and you got to get back out there and get going. And there's a lot of time management and thinking about that because in lots of organizations, including Axway, it can be all hands on deck to close a large deal. And you're not, you're not filling your pipe while you're doing that. Right. Right. Um, what is your, uh, uh, thinking back over, you know, your career in sales and now you're in a leadership role. Um, is there a story that, you know, around failure, failure that you share with your team to help them through those down periods? Um, I have a couple, um, you know, often when a salesperson is down, there's something going on in their personal life that's taking time and attention and mental horsepower and they can't manage both. And um, I've had situations like that myself where I was in a high stakes presentation. My daughter was sick. Um, I lived in Atlanta. I got her on the plane. I flew to LA. I built the demo and the presentation was a proposal defense. I go in, I present to the team, but I had spent the couple of days before that dealing with my daughter's um, situation and we didn't win. And it was hard for me to accept that some of that was on me because I hadn't put the prep into it that I needed to and that, you know, and one of the things we have to know is we're not gonna win all of them mm -hmm. and it's okay. And then what you've got to do is take that time for balance. So another part of the coach role is making sure people get balance because in sales, you're always sprinting to something and you don't have a good time to take a break. So you've got to have that recharge your mental health. And if your sales team is young and highly intense, then as a leader, then you've got to kind of make sure they're balancing all that out. We all know people in sales, including myself, that go through a divorce or a family situation because the work-life balance wasn't right. So, you know, one of the things you've got to watch for is that. And it does matter as a sales leader because you pay the price when that person isn't fully in the moment and able to give their best. It is true. It's their personal life and you can't meddle in that. But as a leader, if your team isn't present and there, 
then you're not going to win at the level you had hoped to win at. So you've got to think about it. Oh, you bet. What role has coaching or mentorship played in your success? <laughs> Lots. Um, I've been lucky enough to have people who believed in me and gave me a shot, sometimes sight unseen. Um, the reason I'm sitting in this position is because people who were on my team and who had been on the team and had left uh, actually recommended me. So the general manager at the time did not know me, but based on those recommendations, he reached out and offered me this job five years ago. And um, I was job hunting at the time. I had been working for startups. I love my startups, but my bank account told me they did not love startups. So my <laughs> bank account told me I needed to work for an established company. So I was able to um, interview for this role and take a shot at it. And I'm really happy that I did. That's awesome. What do you think it was about you that made him say, I want Ruby in this role? Uh, I, I don't, it's hard. Uh, it's a hard question. You know, what a gift it would be to see ourselves as others see us, as oh, they say. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> right. Yeah. What I hope is that it's my positivity. It's my work ethic. It's my grasp of my industry and the technology space that I bring to the table and I help everyone be better. You know, as a leader, um, uh, uh, in a really old book called Up the Organization, Peter Drucker said it as well. You know, one of a one of the manager's roles is to remove his employees' excuses for failure. So I can't remove the failures; those happen, but I can remove the excuses. So my job is to make everything better. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about technology. CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? You know, um, we have to realize that the way we use CRMs is as a system of record. It's a rear view mirror. It's not, so you're, you're looking at the past. You're looking at the steps that have been done in the account or in the opportunity. You're looking at um, recommendations or decisions that are recorded in there. You're looking at the past. This is extremely important in a technology organization. Your business is running on the backs of the business that your sales team and, of course, everyone else down the line, marketing all the way to R&D and support, are bringing to the table. So you've got to have that documentation. Uh, I tell my team point blank, this documentation is not for you is for me and those who come after you. And you have to put it in there because if it's not in there, it's not real. There are no excuses. If it's not in the system, it's not real. But that system is not yet able to guide us to what the next move should be in large accounts. Um, you know, I think there's a difference between selling to consumers and selling to businesses. I'm in the B2B space, and I think that those, especially key account work, it there's like nuances and people and processes in place that while they're similar, there's variances and you have to have a plan. You have to know what the process steps are in those organizations and you have to be moving those process steps to when you think the close date should be or you're gonna slip the opportunity or you're going to get sent back 
a couple of steps in the process when you missed uh, some some committee that has to review your opportunity or your technology before you can move forward. Um, and sometimes you miss getting a sponsor. If you don't, or MedPick would call it the champion. If you don't have the right champion, you might not get it done because they don't have the the organizational um, stock or the organizational willpower to push something through. So you really have to look into the future, not just into the past. But if we don't record the past, we will be useless. So it has to be done. How many months are your sales cycle? We we have um, a pretty average one from what the people I interview tell me. And we're, you know, six months on small things and nine to 12 on large things. Right. And um, so, and I imagine it's a fairly complex sales process, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. So to me, that's another way CRM really benefits an organization like yours that mm -hmm. you have long sales cycles, you have complex deals that you're working there's no way you can keep that all in your head or in a spreadsheet or anything like that. You have to have a tool to help enable that, that process. Right. Right. Um, I agree with that. And you have to keep a record of it because right. there's always someone in your organization or in the customer's organization that's going to ask you, why is this the way it is? Or right. what did you do there? And you've got to have the record, but you also have to reflect forward and create a plan for that as well. And sales likes to do that in their head because yeah. they, don't like to write it down. And I understand that, you know, um, I want to be unique. I want to be special. I don't want to be replaced. I get all of that. But the process of writing it down is why we all take notes in class, because your brain is connected to your hand. And when you write your notes down, you strengthen that mental connection and you clarify in your own mind what you need to do. So we all need to do it whether we publish it to anyone or not, but we need that. And in sales, sometimes people need to talk it out. So a lot of what I do in, in the coach role is we talk out the closing. So how are you going to close this? Where are the hooks? You know, what's going to, how are you going to, you know, deal with procurement or whoever is the blocker in the account? And what do you do if they block you? You know, and that's, why I like the sports model, because you have a play you want to run, you get out on the field, you start to run it, and somebody's read the play and they're blocking you. So you have to be able to adapt and move around it and still try to move the ball or at least not go backwards. And so that is really important. And some of us are better when we talk it through. Um, if we wrote it down, we'd phone it in. We we say, oh, got to, got to, got to get procurement to sign off on this, got to get through the portfolio community, got to get a legal uh, sign off, got to get the security sign off. But we wouldn't really think about, well, is that security assessment going to take a week or a month? Um, you know, or is procurement, uh, do they have an MBO that says they get paid if they take 20% uh, off your deal? Like, so do, do you need to anticipate that procurement wants another discount that you didn't have in your plan? So you've yeah. got to think through those things. And I used to say you have to play chess, not checkers. But then I read that checkers is actually more complicated. So I can't say that anymore. <laughs> so I have to use more. Uh, so I have to fall back to sports and you're running a play and your guy got blocked and you got to find another person to throw the pass to or you got yeah. to run the play instead of passing. So you've got to have 
some plan on what happens if it doesn't work the way you thought it would. Yeah, you have to, life happens. You know, there are no perfect mm -hmm. plans. And uh, so you have to be able to adapt and, and have that strategy. Um, what's your biggest, your personally, your biggest struggle with serum? Um, mostly I get what I want out of CRM. My biggest struggle is it doesn't help me with governance. And I have to go back to, um, hey, you didn't update this. Hey, you didn't do that. Hey, yep. did yep. you put your notes in this week? Um, yep. Yeah, do you think that's the right close date? You know, yep. those kinds of things. And, yep. and that's why I keep going back to, it's all about block, basic blocking and tackling because yep. you think, oh, well, you've already explained uh, accuracy, you've already explained the CRM, you've already explained the closed date, they know how important it is, why do you have to keep reminding people, but you do. Oh yeah, you do. And it's like, uh, I use this mantra all the time with our clients, like in the moment, you have to build it like muscle memory where you're doing everything in the moment, because if you leave it to the end of the day or the end of the week, forget it, it's going to be garbage. It's not going to be near as complete if you just do it in the moment. So just build that muscle memory do it in the moment and move on with your day. That's true. It, you won't have the nuances that you had in the moment if you right. wait until later. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, my memory sucks. I do this from personal experience. It's like, my memory sucks. And I'm sitting there like, God, I know we there was more to this, but I can't remember it's gone. You know, it's but if I've done it in the moment, you know, different outcome. That's very true. Yeah. It, it's also important for sales, like I said, you've got to be able to multitask and you've got yeah. to be able to time manage because oh, yeah. if you're only working one deal, you have a luxury that most of us don't have anymore. Yeah. So you've got to not only work that deal, but you've got to be working other deals. So making sure you're balancing all those out yeah. and you're giving yeah. all of them the right amount of time yeah. uh, in a given week is more challenging to do than you think because we still run from meeting to meeting. Only now it's from Zoom call to team call to, you know, WebEx or whatever. And yeah. sometimes that's even worse because oh, you don't even have the chance to like, at least when I was in enterprise land, you had what I call change class time where yeah. you walk down the stairs to the next conference room. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you could, and you could at least like, kind of like collect your thoughts and you'd have a minute for everyone got in the room. But now with the calls back to back, I have, clients and customers who are only booking 50 minute meetings yeah. and they align on they either start 10 minutes after the hour or they end 10 minutes before the hour to allow people to have their bio break and to get their head adjusted to the next topic. I think I that's that. a pretty smart move. I think that's a very smart move because it's like I was thinking, you know, too, it's like I miss drive time between meetings mm -hmm. where you can right. sit in the car and you might have the music on or whatever, but you're thinking, you're, you're clearing your head, you're prepping for the next meeting, you're getting that transition time. Another good sports analogy right there is the visualization, right? Yeah. So it's really important to visualize that you're, what you're going to say, what your close is, how you're going to do your pitch to a new client, to visualize it, think it through, and in the car or for me on the plane a lot, it's a great time to be in your head thinking, oh, I'm going to do it this way. Oh, no, like replay, yeah. redo. Um, I'm not good at doing it in front of the bathroom mirror. You know, I know that's like people tell you, I, I've never 
been able to right. do that. Maybe I don't like how I look. I don't know. But <laughs> I I love the transit time. Like whether you're yeah. in a train, a plane, an automobile, like that transit thinking time as like right. I really missed that in COVID. No. Oh no, I know. I hear you. Ruby, it's been great chatting with you here on Sales Lead Dog. If people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about Axway, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So if they want to connect with me, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, look up Ruby Rayleigh. Um, I live in Florida. Um, I think um, my picture's on there. I think it'll be easy for people to find me. I'm currently yeah. at Axway. And you can reach me if you want to talk about Axway and I'd be happy to talk to you about APIs, even if you don't want to buy an API engine. Um, and my email address is um, my first initial last name. So R-R-A-L-E-Y at Axway.com. Yep. And if you did not catch that, it will be in our show notes. You can check that out at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. You will find... Ruby's episode as well as all the other episodes of Sales Lead Dog. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Ruby, welcome to the pack. Thanks. I love dogs. I'm happy to be a pack member. <laughs> awesome. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.